Tonight, I'm going to party like it's 1983. In honor of the re-release of Return of the Jedi in theaters this weekend, what other movie from 1983 needs to come back to theaters? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going to be honest, looking at the list of movies released in 1983, I don't know how any of them wouldn't be met with protests if they were released now. Um, but what? I would be curious. <laughs> There's a lot of movies that would not hold up. Wait, what, what's that one? I want to hear one that wouldn't work before you I mean, say uh, one that would. Mine's one that uh, isn't like, I mean, a movie that. that I have watched, like National Lampoon's Vacation. Like, if you put oh. that in theaters now, people would be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I was going to propose The Big Chill, which I have not seen in a very long time, but I feel like now that we are of an age where we are probably the same age as the characters in The Big Chill, that is one that I would be interested to oh, revisit. I bet there are some of them that are younger than us. <laughs> and one of them is dead. <laughs> the Kevin Costner one. one. Is dead. Okay. Uh, I am Matt Patches. Um, God, I I was going to pick... <laughs> Never mind. I fucked up. I, I was looking at Sudden Impact, and I was thinking of the Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, ice hockey movie, which is not called Sudden Impact. Now yeah, That's confused. a Dirty Harry movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Sudden Impact. That's I'm not voting for that movie. I just want to be clear. I do not <laughs> want Dirty Harry back in... In movie theaters, I'm gonna go with um. See, Mr. speaking Mom. of things that probably wouldn't hold up, I'm yeah. gonna go with I'm gonna go with Mr. Mom, which probably again is is out of date in terms of genre, uh, gender politics. But Michael Keaton being funny, I, you know what? I've really warmed up to Keaton. Uh, people, I've never liked him, and I'm uh, now more and more as he gets older. I think I'm coming around to the the comedy of Michael Keaton. Bring back Mr. Mom. Give me give me a chance. Are you? Is this you revealing you've seen The Flash? <laughs> no, thank God. <laughs> and I'm David the Seven, and I'm gonna go with risky business. Yeah, it's gonna be problematic because of how we talk about sex workers these days. But you know what? It's Tom Cruise fronted, so I bet we'd, he'd still get away with it. And what would David pick if he were here right now? Would he pick Flash uh, Dance? Let's say he picked Flash. Maybe he picked pick Gandhi. Gandhi. <laughs> I, was th- I was thinking of Sudden Death, by the way, which is a hardcore like '90s movie, straight in the middle, 1995. I, I would say skip all of 1983 and jump to 1995's Sudden Death. That's my answer. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 426, Pandemic 168. It is the week of Friday, April 28th, which is the day that way back in 2019, the Game of Thrones, the Long Night episode debuts with the longest battle ever screened, an 80-minute battle. It passes Lord of the Rings Battle of Helm's Deep, which was 44 minutes. Wow. This is the most Dave Gonzalez uh, in the day in history uh, I've ever seen. <laughs> what, a, what a week that ever, was in 2019. Ever screened? Screened where? They didn't screen like, Game of Thrones. Like the show, long like night in a like longest sc- cinematic. Oh my god! Let's be okay, little television sure and and herald film and say that this this show has never screened anywhere. Uh, uh, I, I'm pretty sure they played the Long Night in some played, theaters. Yeah, played it they probably did. Yeah. Uh, David will be back in a little bit to talk about Poe is Afraid, and uh, I guess halfway through you'll hear why he is not on the rest of the show. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Dave, do we have any reviews? We do. We have one, two, three reviews. Uh, we'll start with the most recent review because it's called David's Back and it's hilarious because I'll be reading this one. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, Andrew writes in and says, David's back five stars. I'm back once again as my best friend David has returned. I was listening to the last episode. Uh My ears perked up. The second patches mentioned the Plymouth meeting hall slash the AMC there. I went to college 10 minutes from there and that mall was the worst date spot. King of Prussia is where it's at. Anyway, great work as always. He's right. This is this is true. KOP, baby. (laughs) Biggest mall in America. That's why your date is bigger than Mall of America, you said? It's bigger than Mall of America because it's actually two parts. Wow. And they are. I don't believe, well, back when I lived in Philly, they weren't connected. Maybe they have connected them, and now King of Prussia is the biggest mall in America. But it is, if like you're from out of state, you know King of Prussia Mall. Do you guys know the King of Prussia Mall? I know that because our friend Aaron got married near the King of Prussia Mall. She got married at the King of Prussia Mall? Not at the King of Prussia Mall, near the King of Prussia Mall. (laughs) Uh, But no, why is it called King of Prussia? Don't ask. This seems like a very not American name for, for a mall. Wow, I didn't know you were such a nationalist. Uh, you wanted you to know, honor the king of Prussia. If, if it had existed during World War II, I really really the first the king no honored pass. in the new colonies. The king well, of the Prussia. Especially area is all about like George Washington history. Like Here's it's a, a very quick, like American uh, Revolutionary War place. Quick Wikipedia answer to this question for anyone curious: the town is named after a local tavern named the King of Prussia Inn. <laughs> so okay. that's some drunk All right, I'm on board. That's all I need do. to know. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Speaking of drunk people, this next one comes from Jay Roberts and then Seven Zeros. And it is, says, like fine wine, five stars. Pairs well with washing dishes, mowing the lawn, and avoiding relatives during the holidays. That's a review <laughs> yeah. of our podcast, and I agree. That's what podcasts are for. That's a great time to listen to podcasts. While yeah. washing dishes or avoiding relatives? Both. Do it all at once. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever successfully used a podcast. I, I've started listening to podcasts sometimes if like the kids are watching something I don't care about and I can just like tune it out better. But like for visiting relatives, that's that's a high level. I need to learn more about that. I my grandmother visited last weekend and I definitely listened to podcasts driving to and from where she was. Uh, I think mm. if I had put ear pods in and started wandering around the house and being like, shh. I'm listening to my ringer shows. Uh, somebody would have yelled at me. But if you can make it work, wow, make it work. Way to plug the ringer. I mean, listening to the quarter coil again? Uh, I don't know. No, that's fine. The ringer, <laughs> ringer's fine. All right. This next one is from Laura. It's titled Unsubscribing, and it gave us five stars. So she gets to say uh, whatever she wants. Here we go. Going to try and write this as dispassionately as possible. Do not want to be dismissed as overly sensitive. Giving you five stars is a courtesy, not trying to mess with your rating average. I'm just saying something because you know you read these and I want you to listen. I've been listening to all of you on and off for years. You are nice and easy company, especially in transit or doing dishes. Hey, there we go. You have your blind spots that other reviewers have pointed to. I've been frustrated when you talk about movies with queer themes like Knock at the Cabin or The Whale. I'm pretty sure you never even mentioned Frasier. Frasier's character's homosexuality once in your segment. And I think that's a pretty big part of the revulsion and pity that the movie is attempting to inspire in its viewers. The glibness around Rowling's transphobia, this is J.K. Rowling of Harry Potter fame, is the last straw for me. This is not a matter of trying to ostracize someone for having quote-unquote bad opinions. She's using her entire public platform to push trans misogynistic lies. These lies are being parroted across state legislatures in this country and beyond. It has tangible and immediate results that are existentially terrifying to your trans friends and listeners. As a Jewish trans woman, the tossed-off Roald Dahl comparison is such an obvious false equivalency. Even at the height of the deceased author's fame, 
He never had a fraction of the money and influence that Rowling currently enjoys. He wasn't spreading anti-Semitic propaganda far and wide while Hitler was coming to power. He wasn't personally doxing random Jews. American Republicans and conservatives around the world have chosen people like me to be their scapegoat at this very moment in time. As they strip away our health care and campaign on going further, I know that your consumption of the Child Wizard series helped create an environment where that was acceptable. Zasloff, this is Zasloff of uh, HBO Max, now Max, has made it abundantly clear that the profit Potter brings in is worth more than taking a stand against picking on a targeted minority. There was never a, word, a world where someone like him wouldn't act that way. I would hope that liberal culture writers find a way to be able to speak on trans lives being more important than ever, uh, more important than never-ending franchise extensions without relegating us to a too-complicated-to-touch asterisk. Won't be listening to your show anymore. Hope you take this with the right spirit. Laura. Thank you, Laura. I mean, or yeah. to other people Thank who you, are Laura. listening. Uh, I believe Laura's absolutely right, uh, but I also think we... If anything, I went back and I listened to our HBO Max Becomes Max segment, which is where we talked about this. Uh, the Roald Dahl thing was a, uh, you know, humorous aside, but we did say we weren't going to go deeper into the J.K. Rowling uh, controversy, as we called it, uh, which is her being a transphobe person spreading hate speech, as Laura outlined. Um, I'm sorry she feels that way. And uh, I don't want anybody to feel like we're diminishing things. Um, and I guess we'll try to do better in the future. That's the, the best I could, I, I could say on my behalf. Uh, yeah, I think I, for me, I think it becomes too easy to be like, well, I think anyone listening to us knows that uh, J.K. Rowling is a transphobes and trans women are women and trans rights are human rights. But I don't think it's, it's you can't always assume that. And I think we kind of brushed over it too easily to get into what to me was a more flexible debate about whether it's worth doing that Harry Potter show in general, because it's not up for debate whether or not J.K. Rowling's views are right. They're objectively wrong. Um, but I think we should have said that more clearly and um, not made uh, listeners like Laura feel like we were being glib, which I'm really sorry about. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, go ahead. Go ahead, Patches. Oh, I just want to echo what you're saying um, since we, well, first off again, thanks for writing in and we appreciate and respect everybody's comments whenever we get, Reviews like this, you know, the first thing they teach you when you uh, decide to work on the internet is to never read the comments, and mm -hmm. we do not follow that creed here. We read everything. Uh, and when David actually sent us this letter in advance, uh, I was unnerved and wondered if we should self-flagellate like this. Well, in, David in was also like, I wasn't on this segment, so you yeah. guys have to deal with yeah. this. Great thanks, the, David. He also wasn't on the whale episode. What, what is going on with him? Um, seems to avoid these. Uh, but, you know, I, and David correctly said, like, we read everything. and we, we do, and I think that's good. I feel closer to everyone who listens to the show that way, regardless if it's people are chiming in with praise or criticism or goofs. Um, but, you know, in, in thinking about this a little deeper um as far as the criticism of the letter I, I take the note to heart i don't think there's any doubt that the lgbtqi plus community is under attack in the country uh today while we're recording earlier um in in the montana house of representatives they're like barring a trans rep zoe zephyr and it's like what the fuck is going on um and, yeah, great yeah, question to ask most days in, uh, in news. Yeah, to Katie's point, right like, maybe we take that for granted. I do think um, 
I think what's on this listener's mind is existential and crushing and a hard thing to carry. Every day I can understand why even a passing conversation about like a Harry Potter show would make just the weight of it all feel really challenging. We dealt a lot with this at, at Polygon just to kind of pull back the curtain on like Hogwarts legacy and trying to engage with culture with all these looming issues. How do, can you how can you talk about this stuff? And I think we should say too and be honest with ourselves, like if if they make this Harry Potter show, we'll probably talk about it on, on oh, the yeah. podcast. It's unavoidable. It's monolithic. Um, and we we really invested in the editors in on our staff who are part of the LGBTQIA community to look to them and like they wanted to engage with this piece of pop culture. Um, so I don't think, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that the writer of this letter is necessarily getting to this, but I don't think we'd shy away from talking about these things as pieces of pop culture. What's important is that we have room on on the show in some capacity whether it's in the moment i don't think we wanted to do that in a mini segment but um we have the capacity to do these things i don't think it's a too complicated to touch asterisks i will say too though that the four of us we are cis folk and i don't think we're always equipped with the right lenses or we don't necessarily enter into the cultural conversation with that and i don't fault anyone for walking away from the podcast to find hosts who if if this is your primary issue if this is the thing you want to hear about in with when in regard to every single like she brought up the whale and, and uh and knock of the cabin like if this is the thing i would recommend going and finding podcasts that can do that there are so many wonderful uh podcasts that skew towards lgbtqia conversations too and I, I i will admit that i don't think we're always equipped for it and that's important to to say but um and and because we're not equipped for it i think in our professional lives we i'm speaking for all of us but uh, feel free to disagree but i think we boost uh especially those of us who are editors at, at publications like i take a lot of pride in the work that i do to try and bring in voices to, to somewhere like polygon i was just working with uh abraham Josephine Reisman on like this incredible story about her pro wrestling fueled journey to figuring out identity. And I'm like, I can't tell that story on this podcast. I can't be that story. I can only help other people tell their stories. So it's not going to happen on this podcast all the time, but um, I think we're all trying to, to tell those stories in lots of different spaces. And when we can do it here, we will. And I think we can yeah. be better allies in the meantime as ourselves. And that's the, uh, yeah. that's the main thing I want to take away from this. I mean, also, like, yeah, I want to, especially yes, and the patches said where it's like, if this isn't the podcast for you, if it's making you feel unsafe or it's like exacerbating something, I completely understand not listening. Uh, there have been times where the news uh, and very real issues that are affecting me and my family take up like a huge part of my brain, and I'm not listening to weird nonsense yeah. podcasts about it because. I'm in a space where I need uh, help, either with real people or with people who absolutely know what they're talking about. We are a potpourri pop culture podcast, and we support you, and we're trying to do the best we can as allies, but you are not obligated to listening uh, to anything. Five stars, unsubscribing, perfect review as far as yeah, I'm concerned. Yeah, that is, that is above uh, and beyond, truly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Laura. Uh, sorry we let you down. Um, and uh, and any of the other Lauras out there, uh, we definitely stand with you. Trans rights, human rights, and specifically people man. named Laura, but also all trans people. Just yeah, uh -huh. all Lauras, all plus. the Lauras. You're. <laughs> I, I don't even want to say you're all Lauras because I don't even know if that's a thing. But we're uh, <laughs> we're with you, and we're going to do better.
but also, we're going to transition into a review segment here where David Ehrlich and I pull from our own personal experiences to try to review a movie. So just be aware, <laughs> that's coming up right now. <laughs> All right, Ari Aster's third movie, not counting uh, shorts, is currently in theaters. It is called Bo is Afraid. I have seen it. David Ehrlich has seen it. And boy, do I want to talk about it in a way that doesn't spoil it for people because I would like people to check out this movie. It, it tells the story of Joaquin Phoenix's Bo, who is, as the title would have you believe, afraid. Uh, but it is a. I guess the way I would describe it is an anxiety nightmare film where from the beginning till the end, if things can go bad for Bo, they probably do. Uh, it is a, I guess an overall picture of it would be he learns uh, while living in his uh, crappy apartment and uh, getting some anxiety meds that he must take with water. He learns that his mother has died and he needs to go home uh, to attend her funeral and stop disrespecting her because she has is uh, being forced. People are being forced to sit shiva with her um, as Bo struggles to get home. Uh, it takes on sort of a, a hero's journey like structure. I would say the movie comes in may maybe four beats, uh, like a city beat, like a suburban beat, a forest beat, and then a homecoming beat. I guess would be the best and least spoilish way to describe uh, the ending of this movie. But it is. I guess like Hereditary and Midsummer, it feels like it's going to be very divisive, but it also feels like it's, to me, the least uh, under easily understandable uh, of those uh, three movies. David, what was your experience with Poe is Afraid? <laughs> I, I just don't think that I uh, was emotionally prepared for you to just attempt to describe the plot of this movie in linear terms. Uh, right off the bat, <laughs> threw me. One I don't feel spoiled. Uh, uh, well, certainly not. But I, but I also think framing this movie as something that really can be spoiled is uh, misleading. I think you can you could spoil certain moments of surprise or certain moments of songs that are used and the fates of particular characters. But I think any conversation along those lines would um, potentially mislead someone to think that this had a conventional you know, approach to storytelling. Um, and I think that it doesn't. I mean, Bo goes on a journey. Ari Aster is likened this movie to a sort of a Jewish Lord of the Rings. And I think that it, in its own cockeyed way is fair. <laughs> but uh, the uh, it, it, the movie is also very surreal. Um, there is no distinction between, nor, me, no, nor is it, would it be meaningful to decipher what takes place in reality versus what takes place in his head. I've seen some people try and do it close reading about the drugs, the various drugs that he ingests over the course of the movie and how they might affect what we're seeing in his head state. And like, maybe that's part of the equation and was informing Ariasha's storytelling. But I also don't think it's very relevant to what this movie is doing um, because it is sort of this long winding picaresque deep dive into um, codependency, which is Ariasha's favorite topic, at least judging by the first three movies that he's made, um, the, the sort of the twinned feelings of love and obligation um, and how inextricable they are from each other. 
Um, this is, I described it in my review as sort of a, a panic attack inducing movie for the kind of people, uh, particularly Jewish people, Jewish men um, who I may know may be. Uh, uh, who feel like they would die for their mothers sooner than they would answer their mother's phone call. Um, and I think <laughs> like, that, that sort of, sort of, in my mind, got to the heart of the fraught relationship that Bo has with his mother, who has conditioned him to be afraid of everything, because from the moment he was born, for reasons that are sort of kooky and satirical, uh, she is afraid of losing him, uh, losing him to other women, losing him to the world. Um, and has raised him to be a helpless and completely codependent human being. Um, and it's the movie sort of squirrels down deeper and deeper and deeper into his psyche uh, as he reckons with himself and his um, helplessness and his lack of agency um, and ultimately his worth as a human being. And if you've seen an Ari Aster movie, you know that to expect that his judgment is not going to be forgiving. Uh, this is not a movie where, you know, at the end, Bo is going to realize, I'm not such a bad guy after all. And I've just been looking at everything <laughs> What was I so afraid about anyway? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's basically just digging deeper and deeper and deeper into this one feeling and then allowing it to climax, uh, if you will, several times over in different ways. Um, and uh, I, I, the, the reason yeah. I'm glad that you said this and the reason I wanted to talk to specifically you about it is I got the Jewish mother thing pretty clearly from the text of the film, but then as it went on, and as I was forced to be in three hours of a panic nightmare, um, my mind shifted it because uh, I did not grow up Jewish with a Jewish mother. Uh, but what it did do is it like sort of delved back into my teenage years as a Lutheran mm. where Bo's mother is God. Like you have some communications with him, her, it doesn't make a lot of sense to you, but you know that there are rules and you know that you are disappointing God by like going to some of your more human basis things, even when it feels like those basis things are maybe for your own emotional survival. So about halfway through this movie, I'm like, I'm not liking this. This is both too specific and not specific enough, uh, but it sort of brought me back in uh, in the final moments of the film uh, and expanded it to just be like whether it's your mom or your parents or some sort of God figure or just that anxiety in the back of your head that everything you're doing is the wrong decision and you've never been good enough. I think it really manages to get there. It just absolutely takes all three hours uh even like Ooh. a really meandering forest part uh to sort of bring it all bring it all together at least for me this it's 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 a weird movie yeah, I, I, I it mean, didn't get cinema scored because it didn't open in enough theaters but i can see why a lot of people were expecting it, it to get they would have had to come score. up with like an ancient hieroglyph like a hieroglyphic <laughs> to understand what the cinema score for this movie was it would just be like a bird uh, <laughs> you know like um, like the, the lost symbols uh, as the cinema score test taker threatened to explode every 108 minutes i mean this is uh, it's par for the course for some of these a24 movies but i mean this is certainly um, the least accessible of Ari Aster's movies. It's a lot of goodwill that he cashed in to, to make this. It's the most expensive movie A24 has ever made, and I think that is very evident on the screen, particularly during the first chunk of the movie when he is living, like the very Kaufman-esque section where he's 
living in the city uh, where he's surrounded by his neuroses. Um, yeah, Princeton Nectic in New York brought up uh, yeah, a few that's, times, that we, that, which we watched for this podcast at some point. In the Yeah, I mean, it's a very clear, um, it's a close cousin to this movie. I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's a clear reference point because there are so many films that Ari Aster has been very transparent about drawing from. Um, I love that after, you know, I know he's a big fan of Roy Anderson's songs from the second floor. Uh, and it's wonderful to see a movie that so clearly, oh, Asa is yelling at me that I'm waking him up. Sorry, oh, no. Asa. Go to bed, bud. Oh, no. Gotta is talk the about the Ari Aster movie and then, you the know. Bo Afraid is sequel is happening right now. Yes, actually, I'm trying so. to talk about Bo is Afraid and Jewish neuroses. These are all things you have inherited to some degree and we'll come to learn in time. <laughs> I'm Asa. Okay, I'll. Um, boy, uh, I'm still trying to process what it's like to have two kids who are giving you grief for different reasons at the same time. We need to build you a soundproof box. Yeah, we do. Okay, <laughs> just a, I'm sorry. Just around my head. I'm sorry, Asa. Usually asleep by now. Um, well, on that note, uh, why don't I pass the mic to Katie Rich? Katie Rich, what do you think about Bo's Raid, a movie that you haven't seen? Do you want to see it? What are your thoughts? Uh, right I do want to see it. Uh, I can't see it because my father-in-law is coming in town, which is maybe, I don't know if there are any father-in-laws involved in Bo's Afraid, but that feels like family getting in the way of something. Uh, is it going to make me worry that I'm screwing up my children, Dave? No, this mother didn't make any accidental decisions. <laughs> All her decisions are very specific and okay. for very specific points. And uh, maybe at some point in your life, you might find yourself wanting to make those decisions, but I'm pretty sure you're mm. not going to accidentally make uh, any. I'm thinking of the part of me that uh, relates to the witch and into the woods where she's got Rapunzel in the tower. She's like, how could anyone else in the world love you as much as I do? Just stay here. I get that. I get that impulse. Yeah. Uh, but I do not do that. I send them to daycare. Yeah, there's, to we learn a little bit more about Bo's mother uh, later in the movie. And I think it would have been... Uh, David's absolutely right in that he wants to keep she wants to keep Bo close but that doesn't mean keeping Bo locked up necessarily uh, mm. uh, she keeps Bo close to her I think through her uh, travels in her business uh, I think uh, I'll say uh, basically without trying to spoil anything again very difficult to spoil this movie but there are surprises uh, that I think uh, allow you to sort of uh, pulled back into the movie when uh, your anxiety might want you to divorce from it. Like, there are mysteries. Like, we keep he keeps having this dream that might be a memory, and we keep seeing more and more of it, uh, and then eventually we're presented with an answer that I don't think cleared anything up, but it does have those little hooks um, to sort of, if you're wondering what's going on, I think this movie works a little bit better moment to moment. There is the whole section in the forest where he wanders into the forest and he happens across a whole uh, company of people putting on a play in the forest and he sits down to watch the play and then he imagines himself in the play and it becomes this uh, extended, partly animated sequence oh, that boy. I initially thought uh, this doesn't need to be in the movie because uh, where we leave Bo afterwards uh, felt similar uh, than when we did, but it only took like 30 minutes after the movie as I was driving home for it to click in like you can't really subtract parts of this movie without taking part of what I think makes it uh, something that's worth watching. Uh, that being said, if anybody had Bo's Afraid as like a 
box office success or monetary success. I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think it's going to be one of those mm. movies that really hits with uh, certain people in, uh, you know, maybe in a Coen Brothers sort of way. <laughs> do you have to uh, have an anxiety disorder to resonate with this movie? It certainly doesn't hurt. People um, not have anxiety <laughs> disorders? Are there people out there who don't? Uh, well, I think, I think that there is, there, is a broader, there is a broader appeal to this, and it's the same broader appeal that I think becomes an emotional avenue to connecting to all of Astor's movies, which... As I sort of alluded to earlier, they all ultimately boil down to the idea that un- unconditional love, as nice as it sounds, can be a real motherfucker in practice. And mm. uh, that is very much the case with Bo. And I think that that's something that a lot of people can relate to, even if the particular Spurs and Roses don't get close to home. And in, in which case, humble brag, you lucky, lucky motherfuckers. But um, <laughs> they're, uh, um, yeah, I resembled this movie all too much. Uh, but um yeah, I mean, I, I think, yes, this, this is, uh, this is, uh, it's, it's, it's singular stuff, um, you know, despite how openly and, and hungrily it borrows from other things. I mean, this is a, a filmmaker who is expressing himself um, without compromise and uh, with the support that he needs to do that. And um, I, I think, I would hope that even people who really don't vibe with it and are, you sort of find it toxic um will also acknowledge that the world is a better place for movies like this being made and and released and being made available to for people to actually see um i don't know if it's going to hold up i it's the first ari aster movie that i haven't been screaming to see again for a second time as soon as it ended just because i I, you know i think it's a god you immediately wanted to rewatch midsommar when that was over Uh, i sure did i wanted to watch the (laughs) that's a good movie but it is exhausting i raced back to the director's cut as soon as that premiered uh at film society like center um but uh yeah i mean i will and some some parts definitely worked for me better than others the richard the um the nathan lane um segment i couldn't really get into it felt i think as dave was saying both too specific and not specific enough to me uh, and then I was sort of lulled into a deeper appreciation um, once he goes into the forest and, and then things get zanier and more sort of bluntly enjoyable after that, um, rebounding to the same level of just like, you know, pleasure that the, the first part gives. But there's a lot to chew on here. It's been fun. It's been a fun movie, you know, the most fun movie you know, in a minute to turn over in your head like that. And uh um, if any of what we've said appeals to you, I'd recommend giving it a go. Uh, put yourself in oh, a, yeah. a dark room with for three hours where you have no way out and uh, submit yourself <laughs> to it. If you want to do uh, the Bo's Afraid Whiplash special, uh, I, this happened to me last week. You do. You watch My Dog Skip. You watch <laughs> Bo's Afraid. You try to fall asleep and it takes forever. And then you wake up and watch John Q. Uh, that's really that's cinema. That's just a pill of cinema. are you gonna go see Bo's Afraid I'm dying to it is finally playing in New Jersey but I will say the three hour time commitment is is hard with life you know like I have to drive 20 minutes to my theater I have to drive 20 minutes back then there's the 30 minutes on top of it they're only playing this movie of course at like 8pm this is real life I'm having an anxiety attack trying to go to Bo is Afraid so I feel like spoilers uh I don't know. I just feel like I'm Patch, be Patches is terrified. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as we coined on this podcast, uh, I believe from uh, David, just rent a babysitter. 
You just hired. You hired them. You hired that's, them. I'm just that's, not. That's, I'm not. That's, that's, not that's standing by this. That's I why know. it's a joke. Uh, Bo's afraid. Check it out in theaters if you can make the time. Releasing on Disney Plus on Friday, embargoed until 3 a.m. on Friday. This podcast is being released so that we can talk about it. Um, there is a movie called Peter Pan and Wendy, directed by David Lowry, a director of The Green Knight and The Old Man and the Gun and Ghost Story, but also Pete's Dragon, a movie I still haven't seen and I kind of wanted to watch before. We talk- ah, oh, it came out, it so came out a month after I had my first child and just kind of fell so? into a gap, but I have not gotten there what yet. What are you doing? Um, but I, it would be a very interesting thing to compare to this because by all accounts, it's a very like imaginative and lovely take on a like a, in the vein of Disney live action remakes. This is sort of a Disney live action remake in that it like uses some music cues from the Disney Peter Pan, but it's just another Peter Pan like that. Disney doesn't get yeah. to claim that, but it's on Disney remember, Plus. Do you have a place in your heart for the original Peter Pan animated sort movie, of, not 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 a movie I, for me. I I, I know never I've it. seen it. I think I've se- I think I honestly might have seen the Mary Martin Peter Pan more. Like I feel like mm-hmm. I have seen the story of Peter Pan a bazillion times. At least like all the opening well, beats of it are very familiar Joe to me. Pan. You love that Ivana. <laughs> I have a spot yeah. in my heart for Joe Wright's uh, misbegotten Pan. Um, although I would say uh, Hugh Jackman's. Uh, Blackbeard and Joe Jude Law's Captain Hook in this movie uh, are really operating on similar wavelengths. I, I, I would say. Right there. <laughs> um, I was kind of bracing for the worst with this movie. Like it's getting really? it's being Why? released on Disney. It's being released on Disney Plus when like they're releasing almost none of their movies on Disney Plus anymore. I mean, Mermaid's right around the corner. I kind of get yeah. That movie was <laughs> a nightmare, <laughs> a living full on nightmare. Um, mm, and you know, I, I don't have like a huge appetite for another Peter Pan story. And like, I think they can sometimes like get so revisionist like Pan that they don't make any sense anymore. Um, and this is pretty much just Peter Pan. And I thought it was perfectly fine, like kind perfectly of dull in parts. It's got. Fun beautiful outdoor photography wow. like i think they it looks where were they amazing let me look wherever up they while shot you're talking, i don't know where did they shoot it on an island it looks like they well, shot it on that thinking, island from last jedi or something i Please. was thinking about the uh i think the 2003 peter pan that came out where uh, jason isaacs is hook i think they filmed it um, in canada newfoundland yeah like Vancouver. the wow it's peter pan can get very sound stagey where it's just like on like a on a ship and in a cave and stuff like that and it's like absolutely gorgeous um I think the like the prominence of Wendy is like in some ways what you expect like girls can have swords too but I think the tension between growing Fine. up and not growing up becomes really nicely emotional as the story goes on the girl playing Wendy is really good Jude Law's great uh as Captain Hook of course um and I, I don't think his mustache is long enough he doesn't get to twirl it <laughs> the, I think he's very effect, good but the mustache I the Judah having one blue eye and one brown eye that, flipped yeah. me out. Like that is really Real weird. Bowie shit. Uh, it's very strange because like Jude Law with a brown eye just changes his face completely. And then like the other half, you're like, oh, that's Jude Law. And the other half, you're like, it's not Jude Law. Um, but it's perfectly good. And I feel like he's just getting buried. Uh, which I will is a, say, it's it's perfectly good. But we're talking about David Lowry here. I know that's the so thing. It's like he's miss. capable of. Uh, yes, it is a miss for David Lowry. I would say like it is. I mean, in the in the realm of live action Disney remakes, like it's got to be in like the top five at the 
bare minimum. I think you're right about that. Most They're of them are mostly bad. Awful. What's your top yeah. five? Do you, can you pull this out of your gut here? Uh, I would say Cinderella high up, but I yeah, Cinderella's pretty good. I didn't hate the Beauty and the Beast. I thought what? the Beauty and the Beast was fine. <laughs> um, I've only seen little bits of Lion King, but I, that Awful. was a nightmare. Um, I, mm-hmm. I never saw Aladdin. Are we counting really Cruella? Bad. We're yeah, not counting we Cruella, right? We would. Oh, we I could count Cruella. Would. Okay, Cruella's. I mean, Cruella's got amazing costumes. It's, it's got mid. like some. Yeah. Maybe this might land next to Cruella for me. Like Cruella gets elevated by like the costumes and kind of the like inventiveness of it. And this gets elevated by just kind of like doing a simple story correctly. Like they're doing different things, but I think landing in a certain similar range of like, yeah, okay. It really gets like going very quickly. All of a sudden we're in the darling bedroom chasing Peter Pan's shadow and like Alan Tudyk gets to be a human in a Disney movie for once. It's not usually his thing. Um, (laughs) But like, the movie does try and be about something. I don't know. Do you feel like the relationship between Peter and Captain Hook is a spoiler here? Uh, um, but I shouldn't spoil. Like, they have a relationship. Sure. This, yeah. Just like, yeah, it's just more that. than. I mean, they're trying to and, dig and at it's, something. But what is this movie about? Like, who cares about anything that's happening at any point? Yeah. I mean, that's the problem with the Peter Pan story in general. It's like, and then there's a crocodile and then there's a pirate ship. And then, and like, yeah. it bounces around between all this cool stuff, which is like what the original story is. It's a, in some ways it makes sense as a story for children. And the problem of it being like, they need Wendy because they need a mother. Um, like you kind of want to lean away from that. But what I think is so smart is like, it's Wendy thinking about becoming her mother. Like that's like what she's being set up for in, she has in a lot her of life. Flashbacks and, and flash forwards. Yeah. And flash forwards. Existence. Yeah, like Dewey Cox thinking about real her entire life before she shit. goes on state. Yeah, real ghost story shit. And it's a, it's about not just Wendy being like, I don't want to be a mother. I want to be an adventurer. It's like, no, those are those are the same. Like those can your life can be more than just becoming your mother. You can be a mother and do a bunch. Maybe that's why I like it. Um, yeah. Like that just that tension of not wanting to grow up. I think it really kind of sits with that and says, like, it's not just about like how magical it would be to be a kid forever. But what you lose if you actually do that. I uh, I think this movie hangs your your heartstrings and never yanks them like i, I wasn't emotionally moved but there was yeah the filmmaking the craft I, so i do think david lowry's doing something different than a lot of these generic annie Leibowitz photo shoot type <laughs> live action remakes i'll tell you what though you haven't seen the little mermaid yet you can't just keep dissing it as a movie you haven't seen we just have a i feeling. didn't <laughs> did i say little mermaid <laughs> is that what annie Leibowitz live action remake means are to we you? all still thinking about jacob tremblay as flounder uh just rattling I, around I'm in about brains. The, the character poster they put out this week that just says jacob mm-hmm. tremblay flounder <laughs> i am living for that movie um i'll tell you what though to, to kind of wrap up with peter pan and wendy there was a, a moment in the film that really hit me so much harder than I could have ever expected. Um, we get to meet the the lost boys who, when you know, when the time is right for that thing to happen in the Peter Pan story, we meet all the lost boys. They're an eclectic bunch. It's not just they're not boys. all boys. They're not all boys now. Girls can be boys. Although lost I like that they, I like that they present that with like you're not all boys, and they're like, so what? It's like yeah, that is what kids would do. They would just be like yeah, so and move on. It was, it was cute. And I think, <laughs> no Homer's Club. <laughs> I think in Disney movies they rightfully get a bad rap for trying to like force diversity and like wave the flag of like look what we're doing here we're changing these stories we're updating them um and in this movie where we just said like yeah the lost boys are the girls it's just like all sorts of 
kids are here. And it's a, it's a mm-hmm. real mix. And it feels palpable to me. And what really hit me is that there's this kid in the movie. Uh, I looked him up. Noah Matthews Matofsky. This is the first movie he's ever been in. He is a young actor with Down syndrome. I have oh, yeah. never... See, uh, is there... This could very well be the first Disney movie with a prominent actor who has Down syndrome. And, and it's I, like it's not commented on at any point, at I all. don't think. No, of yeah. course not. These are just kids on yeah. the island and yeah. talking. And, like, and, and, you know, I'm thinking about the, the Champions movie that just came out, the Fairly Brother, which the, one of the Fairly Brothers just did this movie that totally bombed. I don't remember which one. And I'm like, I just love being... You know, people with Down syndrome, totally capable of being actors, just never casted movies because, I don't know, why, because they're ostracized, because they're, they're, they don't seem to appear in people's minds as a capable casting. But here is a, a totally capable, very lively and funny guy who's just in the mix here. And for some yeah. reason, that really, that really hit me, that moved me. I'm like, they're just thinking it through. Like, all the different kinds of kids are, are here on this island and whatever they, well, however they wound up here, they're looking up to Wendy and they're on this adventure together. I was so moved. <laughs> it was so yeah. weird uh, to, to just feel that without it being like a f- waving of the flag, look what we did kind of moment. Yep. It's just they're all there on an adventure. Um, so I, I did appreciate that. And then there's a big fucking alligator who chomps around and like chases Jude Law and Jude Law mugs it up. I, I and think, Jim Gaffigan is me, which is Jim kind Gaffigan's of amazing. Me. Doing a British accent? Like, the yeah, casting sure. is spot on here. Yeah. All the parts are here, but is just maybe Peter Pan is just a dysfunctional story that will never be truly great on screen. I wonder this problem. sometime. I feel like that's a real hot take, but I might be really? sitting there with you. I mean, yeah, because Peter Pan is like one of the like most beloved stories in the English language for the past hundred years, but you know. It's a good fairy tale, and you can imagine reading it to a child chapter by chapter every night, and it being enchanting and fun, and as an mo- episodic movie, it will never be fun. Yeah, it's super episodic. Yeah, but I mean, I I... Didn't watch this with my kids, and then I kind of wondered if I could have. I wonder uh, that. Well, in the with end. your kids, I mean, they're going to yeah, be no. like, why aren't the well, pirates fucking be... slicing heads off in this movie? <laughs> not that it would be too scary. Just like, I thought it would be kind of boring, but I don't really think it's boring. It just is kind of. I, I think I could watch it with my kid, and I'm, and I'm excited to, for the first time, because I felt like the live action Disney movies were banned in my home. Because uh, of aesthetics, not because of uh, content. Yeah, because there's just a better version of the movie waiting mm-hmm. for us to see. But actually, this is a good this is a good movie, if not an excellent movie that I wanted it to be. Unfortunately, for David Lowry, who's always experimenting and trying something. So I feel he does like David Lowry has he has another movie already like on the way, right? Like he's doing a pretty good like one for them. Somehow one for he's me swinging from like point. micro budgety a twenty four stuff to the Disney. stuff. The Disney movies, so good for him. Yeah, I mean the uh, oh, he's making a Star Wars TV show. Oh, he did one episode of Skeleton Crew, believe I, with mm, the Daniels. They also sense. did that. Oh, that's right. Oh, and, da- uh, and Jude Law is in that. Probably doing the same with kids again, mugging it up with uh, kids. I think he's the good guy this time. But oh. yes, fair. Oh, and it's us, three cis people, to talk about some cinema from A24 that maybe isn't for us, but we 
enjoyed. It what? is what what? It's not for us. It's a television show that is entertaining. Maybe we are not going to have a different, or maybe we're not going to have a unique take on it because we're not of uh, the Asian American community, uh, which is put uh, front and center okay. along with this uh, in this uh, Netflix show called Beef. It is a mini series uh, created by uh, no, the it's a it is a uh, wait no, it's a limited keep series. But there's season two, but this would they be, keep we'll, saying they're going to make a second we, season that they're competing, competing and limited at the Emmys. Let's talk about a season two at the end of this yes. uh, segment. I would love to, I would love to, to raise this, this question. Yes, uh, the series itself stars uh, Stephen Jung and Ali Wong as two characters who get in a road rage incident in the first episode, and then. Because they can't let it go for various personal reasons that we learn about, uh, things escalate and escalate until everything gets really out of hand. And we'll talk more about the plot, I'm sure, as we uh, talk about the series. It's like overall. the definition of that escalated quickly. Uh, absolutely, the definition of that escalated escalated quickly. I uh, just want to get out in front of this. Uh, there is a controversy. If you Google beef Netflix, you're not going to be getting reviews first. You're going to be getting the story that uh, one of the actors in the series, uh, David Cho, uh, was on a podcast in 2014 where he told a he says fictional story uh, that involved a non-consensual sex act with a masseuse. Uh, those uh, comments have been resurfaced since he uh, plays a prominent role in Beef. And uh, the series has issued this statement. The story that David Cho fabricated nine years ago is undeniably hurtful and extremely disturbing. We do not condone this story in any way, and we understand why this has been so upsetting and triggering. We are aware David has apologized in the past for making up the horrific story, and we've seen him put in the work to get the mental health support he needed over the last decade to better himself and learn from his mistakes. A lot of people do not like that statement, but that is the statement. This is as far as the controversy has moved on, and it is not about the plot of the show, which is the show that we all watched. And I'm going to say it, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it just it. it <laughs> good yeah. show. Good show. It's a good show. Uh, there are two things that immediately were uh, appealing to me about this show. Uh, number one, I could not guess where the plot was going at no, any point. Absolutely uh, not. With episode to episode to episode, I was like, "Holy shit!" Even if they pick up this episode where the last episode left off, I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, that's an incredible. How, uh, how spoiler are we getting when we when we talk? We will, about the, I think the show's we should, been out I think, for a little while, so I think, I think we, should we should get. Dive we should right start general. You think we should just oh. immediately like go right into spoilers? Well, I most I want to ask Dave what moment if there's something specific that happens in the plot, the cranking of the 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 screw there that that specifically or surprised you, like what that you didn't see coming is like one thing, but like that really shocked you about beef. Is that, um, that's, Ali, that's gonna be a spoiler question. So. Should we? Let, I would say, should we? Yeah, should we, well, uh, should well, we ring well, the spoiler gong? Let's yeah, go straight well, to the. This has been out for weeks. Let's go. Right, well, straight to the spoilers. All right, straight to the spoiler. Watch gong. beef. It's really entertaining. It's on Netflix, but we gotta talk about why. This is this is like the best thing that Netflix has done in ages, and probably and, not and their fault time. because of A twenty four. I'm um, not their I mean, credit, is what you're saying. You're not you're not giving Netflix any credit I'm not for sure making I can something give Netflix so good. credit for this one. I I'm gonna say that um, the position that Fumi eventually takes in the plot, uh, both with uh, her, her talking to Ali Wong after they sort of 
her mother after yeah after yeah. the mother-in-law character realizes what's been going on with the car chase and also when she like shoots a guy and then falls down the stairs you're like oh she's dead well yeah that cliffhanger that's at the end of episode five i'm just looking it up because that's the moment where i was just like jesus christ how fast is this a gonna go crazy happening. yeah if you haven't yeah. seen the show but you're like i'll listen to the spoilers to see if i even want to like dip in uh yeah it really ratchets up and then rather quickly by episode five I, I would say the first three episodes are just this it could easily be like a will ferrell mark Wahlberg comedy where two guys mm. run into each other like we're gonna play pranks on each other war on grandpa shit um <laughs> because they're mad but it's Stephen Yeun and ali wong and they're seething and they have a lot of their own personal financial issues. Yeah, you see with. her masturbating with a gun in the first episode. Like, you get that this is not just, like, comical anger. This, <laughs> it's, like, deep, deep on. problems. Uh, but it, even, that, in those, even in those first three or four episodes, it's still... Like, she's trying to land a deal. What, what kind of job... She's running a plant shop that she is... Uh, or yeah, she has, like, a... She's going to sell for $10 real, million dollars to... What kind of store? To Walmart, basically. Like, yeah. A, yeah. Played, like to played, a, this billionaire uh, uh, woman who owns a, like a Walmart. Played by Maria Bello. Uh, mm -hmm. and she's delicious in this movie. She's really fun. Um, but I, I still think the, the it feels small stakes. And and then Stephen Yeun is just trying to get by. He is scrappy. He has like a he's like a fix it man. He just needs a job. And his brother is into crypto and doing nothing. Uh, this this show is extremely written by a millennial. Like. We're really coming into an age right now where millennials are in charge of things. I don't know if this guy was uh, a TV writer or a playwright, Lee Sung Jin, who, who wrote this. I don't think he has too many. I think he worked on Dave, the FX show a little bit. But we also, I think he's done some, some playwriting. We're really in a playwright does television renaissance right now with like Kindred and oh, what are the, there was another one on the top. Of, ah, whatever. But um, this has like a playwright feel. We're really stewing with characters. There's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of jabbing each other. And, and when these two finally come back and discover, like, you did this to me, you hit me with your car, they're just so mad. And again, it's like almost Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg, high-concept uh, high comedy hijinks, except it gets violent and it gets weird. And I don't... And to your point, Dave, like, how do... Does it work? Does it? It goes off the rails. For me, I was just screaming uncut gems the whole time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and that's why I globbed on and I had a lot of fun with it. But like, why does that work? Why do you think it can escalate to the point where later in the series, there's like a fucking shootout with a SWAT team um, and, and all sorts of crazy ass shit? A crazy time jump. I would argue this sh show is too long. And that for mm. it to successfully get to all of this escalation, it needs to go faster. Like, I think those first three episodes where it's lower stakes, like maybe should have been one or two or like after mm. the time jump, you get like flashbacks to Amy's past where you're kind of like, am I like, do I need the child version of her? Like, I think you get more out of that tension if you really stay within it. And this like when it leads gems is a masterpiece and this show is uh, good. <laughs> and when it, when it leads to that final episode where it's just the two of them, you're like, I wanted that sooner. Like, it's such an incredibly satisfying ending, and we'll get to whether or not they can do a second season with it. But, like, everything, like, there's nothing in it that I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, that's, like, the weak link. But I think there's a momentum issue mm. um, that doesn't make it a bad show. But I kind of, like, I mean, as I kept going, I was like, okay, come on. Like, we'd, like, let, let's wrap this up.
I made TV critics on Twitter really mad because I said, I think <laughs> this is really good, but it would make a great movie. And maybe <laughs> I just want to watch more movies because I'm a movie guy. And people were like, ballist they went ballistic of, of the episode five, the like, people are invading our home and I got shot and then I felt on the, and the mom falls down the stairs and um, like, you need those cliffhangers. It's playing with episodic television. I'd be curious to hear Dave, you talk about this too. Like if you think it's taking advantage of episodic, like it couldn't be a movie, but then I, I watch something like uncut gems that can ratchet up tension so fast that I, I know that Howard character, maybe it has to do with Adam Sandler being a great performer, or maybe it, ha it has to do with like living in New York and just feeling like, you know, this guy a little bit, but, that that movie can go from A to escalated Z, and I feel like I get the character and I know exactly like why this journey mm. happened. But I but I think I, you I, get I know that too in Beef, but I'm not sure the the detours to get there. Like it takes longer, but does it need to take longer? I don't think you would get as much. I, I I think the show should be shorter. I still think it should be a show. Like think about like the Korean church and like what a like major role sure. that plays and like telling like, you about the characters about and that. telling you. Well, like, so, like, Stephen Young's character, Danny, like, winds up getting more involved with the church. And, like, there's these, like, people there who I guess he knew when he was younger and he reconnects with them. And they're just, like, very wholesome, like, Christian people. And he kind of, like, sees that as a life that he envies where you kind of realize, like, the the in, inherent bullshit of that is what, like, the, sh the show was kind of all about, like, you, you want to reach this place where you think you'll reach enlightenment and it's not possible. And I don't think you would get that much texture or, like the ability to kind of ratchet around to a bunch of different people and realize like, Oh, they're all still just like trying to get something that they can't have. Um, that, that the tapestry of that, I think. And then also the episode nature with every episode ends in a cliffhanger. And it like, just when you think it's going to get crazy, you don't know where the story is going to go next. Like we were saying with Peter Pan and Wendy, where it's too episodic. <laughs> like, I think you want that structure where it's like, uh, and then, and then and it kind of tightens the screw like bit by bit in that way. We'd probably lose. Well, the pick back up. Too. Yeah. The second thing I liked about this series, <laughs> first one being the structure, the second one actually, it goes exactly to what you were saying, Patches, about if this needs to be a TV series. It absolutely does, simply because this has, and it's going to be hard to beat, uh, but I've been watching, you know, a lot of television uh, this year. Pretty sure this has the best music supervision of any project I've seen uh, this year. Um, it ends the first episode with Huba Stanks the oh. Reason in a perfectly timed way. <laughs> yes. And then uh, we get to get Stephen Jung singing Drive by Incubus in church. Uh, we get Cornflake Girl by Again, Tori Amos later on. this is instant millennial canon. Uh, is, it, is it Machine Head or Glycerine, uh, the Bush song in the basketball game? Machine Head. Yeah. Uh, that's a big one. Better than the rest. Anyway, um, uh, not only were those songs that I was uh, listening to when I was growing up, but uh, right before I watched the final episode of the series, I went back and I just watched the last scene of every episode. Oh. And this series is absolutely structured for that to be like a peak what happens next uh -huh. to push you into the next episode. And it does it so well uh, that I think one of the things that TV shows, especially when it has a good music supervisor and then like writing that knows how to use that music, that's the sort of space that TV shows can give you. I think if we ended up with a movie version, we might have still ended up with the machine head scene because he's got to play basketball and break that guy and get the Christian guy to cuss a lot. Yeah, like, that's probably still going to happen. 
but I don't know if we're going to get the reason uh, with Hoopa Stank, or we're going to get uh, Cornflake Girl, or we're going to get these music cues that end on a last shot where the lyrics and what you're seeing line up so you have a deeper understanding of the character, and then it cuts to black and you're like, oh my god, gotta press play on the next one. Yeah. So I think, even though I also think you're right, Katie, it could be shorter, it does the best it can knowing that it has 38 minutes to build momentum. We yeah. love it, a 30 to 40 minute episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, plug, it plugs as much as it can into that episode so that like, at, by the end of episode three, you're like, I know what this series is. It is something like Patch is describing where it's like people are going to have a prank war. You know, he pees all over her bathroom and that's like, and she has a gun and like certainly things aren't going to escalate beyond this like kind of harmless back and forth. And then they do, and neither of them stop. And then you mm-hmm. realize that every character is doing the same thing. Just because these two have the outside beef doesn't mean I don't think every character in this series feels like they are owed something, even though they mm-hmm. might have everything, and is reaching for that thing that they are owed and keeps feeling like somebody else is pulling it away from them. Uh, so, Which is why the finale for this works so well. And as soon as it started, I was like, well, this is an easy way out. And then by the time it was ended, I'm like, there was no other way you could have ended the story of beef than that final episode, uh, which takes them both out of society for the entire runtime. When it does the thing, the two episodes before that, where it has the time jump and right before the time jump, that episode ends and you're like, oh, they worked it out. Like, yeah, they got away with it. They have everything I want. But the whole point of the show is that they can't leave well enough alone. Like the actual like brokenness within them that made them get in this road rage incident in the first place is going to make all of it fall apart. Yeah. And it's saying something about selfishness versus empathy, but be giving every character that hook that there's something they feel like they've worked for, deserved that life isn't giving them, even if they're high class or low class, I think was the really artful part about beef because that's what makes it so relatable not only the characters need to learn about empathy, but you have to be able to put yourself in either of the characters' shoes in episode one and either of the characters' shoes in episode nine, where there's like a shootout happening. And those have to be, for you as a viewer, equally interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think it ultimately worked for me, even though I'm going to give more thought to what Katie was saying about the first three episodes could have been like one episode. That's a possibility. I don't know if I like, I, yeah, I don't know where I would suggest it. Cause again, it's so well done. That, like there's something great to be had in every part of it, but uh, man, can we talk about that last episode and how insane it is? Also, Wait. just like in general, like, <laughs> like Ali Wong, like I, I have not seen much of her stand up. Like yeah, I wasn't that familiar with her, but like, uh, I, I think she's ama- amazing in this, but then Steven Yun, who like, I think we know is a great actor, but he's so dirt baggy and gross and like, not like, handsome at all in the show which i did not know was possible um they're both and like not again, handsome even so when compel- he's wailing at the uh korean church and all i mean it kind of grows over time it's really that facial hair it's really not doing him any favors uh, <laughs> i mean he's a very handsome man as we all know but like that last episode when you get them back together you're just like god they have they really have something together i think it's more like this is the minari guy while he's doing like right. horrible right. shit and you're like oh yeah. my god Oh yeah, I guess in uh, I guess in a uh, nope, he's uh, doing bad things, but still looks better. <laughs> I do want to flag the two other like key actors here. Uh, this guy Young Mazzino, who I'm not familiar with at all, who plays Stephen Young's younger brother on the show, who starts as the crypto junkie, but then kind of gets like swept up by Ali Wong's character in a romantic way. Um, he's just such a 
dope. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's so, he's so innocent. Like I, I, I find playing innocent to be a very difficult challenge for for actors. And yeah, and being that sweet and 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 wanting to do something like everybody is. I'm I'm curious what you guys think beef is about because yeah, it's about this anger boiling and and people not being able to let go. But obviously, everyone's also trying to make it right. Everyone's chasing money like how money is fueling this fire between everyone everyone wants theirs so they are they are mad um and the the young mazino character paul is is he's just like dreaming he wants to get rich he like tells ali wong's character amy you know like, i could do what you do and then she snaps back and she's like it took me years to become a, a millionaire yeah. like you don't know what you're doing um and she's just mad at him She's taking everything so personally. Um, and again, like the, the, the anger is intertwined with money. And I find that, I find that interesting because it's not, it's not like overt. I don't feel like I'm getting hit over the head in beef with like, this is what class and money and capitalism does to our inner cells. But it's like, it's boiling there too, mm. right? Like this is what the show is about. I mean, I, I don't was, think yeah, it's, it's right there in the very beginning. And then it, it kind of uses that as a jumping off point for Way more stuff. And yet so, Ali Wong's I, I, husband I, I, in the show is an like artist who you think would be divorced from that and is also pining for, like, success and worth and independent. Uh, I don't... Yeah, it's all... I mean, he's success. he's the most... He's the most interesting character to me because he's kind of pining for, like, people to like him more than anybody else. Mm. Uh, whereas I, I think it's absolutely, like, the... Money is the thing that allows us to not see that the ladder we're climbing is made off the backs of other people in capitalism. Like, that's sort of, like, the reward. Mm. And at at any given point in Beef, if, like, three or four of the main characters got together and tried to act unselfishly, uh, the show's plot would unravel because each of these (laughs) characters uh, feels like they're anxiety-driven to do something... Uh, that allows them to like get theirs and even if it's something where Steven Yoon's character is trying to like build a house for his parents that ultimately is going to boil down to still needing money to everybody's taking money from me to I could steal from the church to well now I need to steal from this guy who stole from the church because my cousin's a bad dude like you get all wrapped up but I think what the end episode says is if we were able to actually switch places with somebody that we were in conflict with those conflicts would melt away because everybody's acting off of that same uh innocent need to think that you deserve a million dollars and then you're gonna run up against people who are like well you haven't worked hard enough even if they don't seem to have worked very hard uh like that's the sort of complex thing that beef is uh doing but i i I think overall the series has to be about finding empathy in the person you think you hated the most uh, just because of how it ends. And so I don't like a second season would kind of blow that up for me. Like if these two people are just like, you know what? We're angry at these other people again. I was like, dude, like, why do you do what? I just watched you go through so much shit. Like so many people close to you are dead. You're you're you were going to sell your company for $10 million, but then the head of that company got chopped in half. And uh, who knows yeah, if that ever did. gets who knows if that ever gets resolved 
So but like, isn't the uh, point of it that like that that like that kind of enlightenment is only lasts for so long that like you reach a level and you think ah, I get it, but then like your old base instincts are going to come crawling back. I mean, maybe, uh, but I, I feel like the series right now is trying to say that there is some sort of hope uh, by returning to the reason uh, in its final its final shot and having him you know move his arm over to like hold her. I feel like it's trying to say like there's hope for us, which I yeah. hope is the point of beef. <laughs> uh, you hope, hope, yeah. Is the I hope hope is the point. Uh, Katie, do you think there could be a season two of beef? Yeah, I mean, really? I don't know that I would. I I would be interested in seeing more of these characters, but like, make it about I Mexicans like, this time. I was gonna say I, the I path like the is age- anthology series, right? Like, no, like the what they've said is that they want to make more seasons about these two characters. I mean, imagine crazy. like uh, Amy and Danny, like they're like on a united front. Their lives have completely exploded. They try to start their lives again together. Um, but then they keep being petty and finding ways to fight. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I think you can be hopeful about humans and our ability to connect with each other while also saying but they're still going to be people and they're still going to be themselves. Like, I don't know how you have a second season that like goes as insane as this one, because that would feel repetitive, but you know, TV creators I mean, have been smarter than you me start, many times. And it's three episodes of them getting divorced like seven <laughs> years later. And then at the end of episode three, she gets taken and he has to like go wow. save her wow. from the hostage situation. Wow. Right. Dave. Okay. I mean, now that yeah. I've seen once, now that I've seen one season of beef, I could riff another season of beef. I just hope it's not beef as riff. good as what they're actually going to do with the second season of beef. Yeah, surprise me, beef. That's the thing. If they I mean, could bring it back is a surprising second, in its first season. If they could bring back for a second season and keep that structure at the end of each episode, I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Then they could do whatever they want, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm interested in seeing this. Very happy that A24 presented a Netflix series that feels like a piece of itself. Uh, so I don't need a second season just because it was successful, because I do think some of that closure means that I saw the whole story, <coughs> but I wouldn't be against it. It's more I, of a bet. I want more Naomi, played by Ashley Park, who is the deceased member of Girls 5 Eva. She's also an Emily in Paris. Paris. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't really watch that show, but I, I know either. her as the deceased totally member for, of Girls Five Eva. I totally Eva. forgot. She's also and really she hasn't funny on up, this show. She, she hasn't shown the, up on Girls Five Eva, and like we, we keep like waiting for her true. to return, and she hasn't yet, right? And it's oh, gonna yeah, be on there Netflix. Was a whole ep- there was a whole episode about her, like maybe being secretly alive. Um, <laughs> I I thought she was really again like playing a Calabasas, California archetype. Uh, it's really funny, and and the show is hysterical. I don't know if we have painted this picture. The show is very funny too. It is. It mm-hmm. has a dark, a dark wit, um, and you have comedic players like Ashley Park being the kind of nosy neighbor investigating Ali Wong's character, trying to figure out if she was the one who did the car road rage incident. Uh, there's just so many players in this that are. I, I mean, I will say, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, this is controversial, but David Cho is a, is is quite good at a show too just playing a total dirtbag going to jail guy like who is hot-headed and and wants to reconnect with his family he's been shunned by and and it does not go well for him like there's a lot of well-written dimensional side characters in this and i guess that 
is the reason it needs to be a show. And I should eat crow and say a movie version of beef would maybe not be as good. I like all the characters. Uh, uh, we get Matt Patches to admit he's wrong. Blah. Matt Patches has found a reason for him to change who he used to be. Reason a reason to start over new. Beef. <laughs> I really like that for David mostly because like you you wouldn't get Hoobastank if it was a movie. So case closed. That's all. That's all yeah, you need. I'm not Can sure I... that's true. I've been waiting since 2003 <laughs> to hear the reason and to have want to have been hearing the reason because it was on the radio all the time and I hated it. But the second like came in, I was like, fuck yeah, Hoobastank. Named after the H in Jesus H Christ. Jesus Hoobastank Christ. I can't believe we've done South Park and Hoobastank back to back weeks. I can. Uh, this is <laughs> next week. This is great. Fighting the War Room goes to Warp Tour <laughs> live. I mean, you joke, but I have been watching Blink One Eighty Two at Coachella videos uh, for like a week. It's been it's wow, been great. bliss. Wow, beef. Uh, it's on yeah. Netflix. Go watch beef. that does it for this week's episode we'll be back next week uh the plans to talk about are you there god it's me margaret we'll we'll see what comes together we'll see uh which of david's children prevents him from participating you never know around. we did the quarter quell that was our responsibility now we could do whatever we want i guess uh in the meantime tell the people who you are i'm matt patches executive editor over at polygon now and i'm on twitter at mr patches letterboxd at mr patches and we have a website fighting in the war room Com, where you can listen to all our old episodes. Made me wonder if we reviewed Midsommar. Uh, probably. I didn't like that movie. I David loved uh, it. I, I really, did. I don't really like it. Maybe I should watch it again. It's also long. Um, music is great. I listen to the soundtrack all the time. Anyway, fightingintheworm.com and I'm Dave Gonzalez. Uh, you heard David Ehrlich. You could follow on Twitter at uh, David Ehrlich earlier in this episode. Uh, he's a senior critic at IndieWire. I, you could, can be followed on Twitter at DA7E. You can also email all of us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com to let us know the good, the bad, the opinions, all those things like that. Also, this week is the beginning of my endless march to tell you to go pre-order your copy of MCU Reign of Marvel Studios. It's a book Joanna Robinson and Gavin hey, Edwards and I wrote about the MCU. I meant to ask if you had any good book recommendations. I just uh, tee it up for you. We'll, we'll come up with creative ways to include it. Oh, yes. You you will all be sick of it uh, by November. But here's where we begin. Uh, that is all. Thank you. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast. Um I don't remember what we talked about. Once again, you know, you get me on late enough on a Wednesday night, I have no memory whatsoever anymore. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. We're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can uh, tell us whatever you want. You can tell us what we should review next week, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of the re-release of Return of the Jedi, what other movie from 1983 needs to come back to theaters? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. things to you and so I have to say before I go I 
done.